Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Adele Duncan. Uh, she's, she's agreed to be interviewed on the podcast. She used to mentor me, so I'm so proud to be able to tell her story. Uh, she's currently the chief exec of a small charity that works with uh, gambling addictions, um, but she's been in the field of addictions for sort of the last nine, 10 years. Uh, and really, she's passionate about enabling people to make change. And she's a proud mom. Hi, Adele. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Petra. Nice to be here. Um, did I get that right? Can you fill in any blanks about what you're, you're passionate about at the moment? Um, I think I, I, what I've always been passionate about, and I didn't know this until I started working for a housing association, was um, working, having empathy for people who didn't have the same opportunities in life that I did and who have ended up in positions that I would dread to think any of my family would end up in um and so my passion is about not judging people it's about giving people opportunities to just make small changes to their lives um and I get a great um I get a great sense of pride in working for organizations that enable people to make those changes and what what got you into this field in the first place I'm, I'm curious about this sort of a decade ago well, well, addiction is a decade ago, but I ended up, um, gosh, I left school at 16 with not a lot of qualifications and, and did some temping work. And I ended up temping for a housing association called Stonham Housing. And at that time, they were the biggest provider of housing for people with support needs. So they did, at that time, terrible language, but it used to be working with people they would call special needs. Not, uh, but, <clears throat> and so that would be people um, with mental health problems, care leavers, young pregnant mums people with learning difficulties, people coming out of prison. So so kind of a lot of people in society that other people perhaps wouldn't want to work with. So that's how I kind of started understanding a little bit more about human nature and things that that, that go wrong for people in their lives. Um, and so I attempt there for, gosh, about six months as, a, as an administrator. That, that was my background, administration. Right. Um, and then I was there in total for 17 years I grew up with Stonham wow. um, and I think the value base and the culture of the organisation is what enabled me to stay there for so long but I progressed through the ranks there I had good mentoring I had good managers who helped me to um, realise that I had more to offer than than the, the skills that I came with so yeah so it was so um, which is why I'm madly organized because if i've got an happening background so, but I've, en- I've ended up sort of well i started there when i was gosh i think i was probably oh jesus not 19 or 20 i suppose 
And you, so um, you really just worked your way up because yes. I've introduced you as the, the chief exec and you've, yes. you've obviously gone a slightly different route but are a successful yes. woman sort of at the top of your game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's – and I haven't – I just – I'm someone who pushes myself all the time. I'm not somebody who, who is um, – I always want to go above and beyond. I think that's really important. If you don't love what you're doing, then you should change what you're doing, frankly. Um, so I couldn't agree more. You know, I think it's one of those things that um, I'm pretty driven. I don't quite well, – I think probably comes from my family. But, yeah, fairly driven to not necessarily earn loads and loads of money to do something worthwhile. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious about where that, that drive originated from. So, so take us back just to give us a bit of context. Uh, mm-hmm. Let us know uh, sort of, you know, did you have siblings, how you were raised? Do you think your, your parents and maybe the education system sort of prepared you for the, the real world or gave you that drive? Um, I don't think the education system helped me <laughs> no, at all. No. As I was saying it, you were like, I dropped out, it was shit. <laughs> no, I didn't drop out. But um, no, I, um, I've got um, mum and dad. Mum and dad have been married for 50-something odd years. Um, I've got two brothers and a sister. Actually, think about that. I've got two brothers and a sister. And there was, we we grew up, my dad worked really, really hard. He worked six days a week, set up his own business. Um, and my mum was the kind of the carer, so she was the one who uh, looked after us, took us to school and everything. There's only five years between my older brother and my younger sister, so we were pretty close in age. So we were a pretty tight-knit family, I suppose. We, we were known as the Waltons when we were kids. Were you? The, because, of, you know, it's un- it was usual, unusual back then for there to be four kids in a family. Yeah. God, that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> and um, and so we were known, you yeah, know, the Duncans were known, Um just because of in schools we would all be we were all in kind of the four years kind of almost together you know above each other if that makes sense so we knew most of the kids in the school and they knew most of them knew the Duncans um and so so kind of yeah fairly um yeah mum dad worked hard um dad say had his own business he's an electrician um always worked really really hard he was driven I think by by his his parents I suppose um Mum was absolutely a stay-at-home mum, and she was brilliant at it. You know, she absolutely adored all of us kids. Um, lots of ups and downs within their marriage, but they would be after 50 years, wouldn't they? Of course, um, of course. Um, and we moved house quite a lot. So we moved every five years or so. Um, my parents would move house. Just that's what happened every time we'd move up to a nicer property or whatever. Okay. Um, would you stay in the same area, sort of the same schools yes. or – yeah. Yeah, we didn't move schools a lot. We we all went to the same primary school and secondary school wise. There were um, there were good secondary schools around where we lived. Um, yeah, we live in Surrey. It's quite a nice area. Nice, so yeah. The schools are really good. Yeah. Um, so we had quite a lot. Of, yeah, we had stability. I suppose. I mean, there were, say ups and downs. But we had stability there. Um, my and, parents. Mm, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, did you um, learn some of that work ethic? Do you think from yes. your dad? I was just going to say that, yeah. yeah. I mean, my mum had worked before. My mum was 18 when she got married, so, you know, had us quite young. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely, my dad worked really hard, and he expected – we as kids had jobs in the house, so we had a little rotor of jobs that we had to do. Okay. So prob- probably from the age of, I don't know, I'd guess eight or so, there were jobs across the house. So because there were six of us living in the house, there was obviously a lot going on. Sure. Um, <laughs> so it would be things like – um, emptying the dishwasher, setting the breakfast table, because we have meals together, um, cleaning all the shoes every day. My mum used to make us clean all the school shoes every day. So um, they were like, you know, 
polished really well. That was the worst job. <laughs> and emptying bins. Because isn't it funny? I can still remember the four the four jobs we used to have to do. So we we all grew up knowing we had to contribute. I suppose to. She had responsibility from an early age, which I think is a a valuable skill that not a lot of kids have these days. Mm. And I've, with my son, I've made made yeah I've, I've done the same things with him so Have from you? an okay. early age I've made made him take up doing jobs he's never particularly been that pleased about it but um but I don't, no, think, I don't he, think they have to be I imagine no. you weren't super pleased when you had to do no. the shoe polishing job no and we used to get that's how we got our pocket money you had to earn your money so it, we didn't get lots of pocket money although my dad mum and dad were fairly wealthy they, they didn't give us lots of money for things um but we earned our pocket money which I think was good and then then, you know, I went out and did a paper round from about the age of 13 with a friend of mine. We shared a paper round together because, you know, two girls were well, going around doing a paper round. Yeah. So we did it together and we used to have such a laugh. Um, so, yeah, my dad had a sh- my, dad, my dad then had a shop, um, electrical shop selling things like, I don't know, cable and plugs and stuff like that. And so I used to work in the shop from the age of about 14, I suppose, on a Saturday. Um, and I learned then about kind of cashing up and all that kind of stuff. So my dad, and, and all of us did, we all worked you know, had little jobs fairly early on in our lives. Um, and, and all four of us have carried on working pretty hard um, and all been fairly successful at what we do, I suppose. But definitely my dad has driven, and my mum, my mum's driven that. You know, when we were at school, my mum went to work in my dad's shop to sort of help him out as well. So um, that then meant we had to be a little bit more independent when we got home from school. So um, It was really the, so, cu- the culture of your family yes, to definitely, work hard. Definitely. And then and, and that was my mum and dad more than my kind of extended family. So, like, you know, my, I think my grandparents didn't see a lot of my grandparents, to be honest. But, um, yeah, and it, just, it was just part of the way it was, really, I suppose, in our family. Um, and, and so... We were, mm, sorry. Go ahead. I was, we, we, weren't, we, weren't partic- we weren't encouraged necessarily. Certainly, um, my brother went on to go to college to become an electrician. Um, and then my other brother, I don't know what he did when he left school, but my dad was kind of, I'd wanted to go to um, college and do like a legal secretary course. Yeah. And my dad was like, no, you're going to have a job. You're not going, I'm not going to allow you to go to college. Oh, okay. Which was like, whoa. Um, and he said, I'll, uh, I'll help you find a job. <laughs> he used to take me to this little workman's cafe, what I'd call a workman's cafe. Um, and I used to start at six o'clock in the morning, um, helping out with serving the breakfast. And, I, and that was such good fun. And I used to walk home from there um, and then after that was when I was sort of 16 and then I got a job uh, somebody my dad knew was looking for somebody for admin and um, so that's where I had to end up getting kind of in the admin kind of world I suppose and I learned a lot at that's this small local company and then uh, there is something well, to be said for, for learning on the job sort of that apprenticeship definitely. type approach rather than the theoretical kind of study approach and I think I think these days it's a bit more difficult I think it would be if I was doing what I did then now I think I'd have to have some qualifications and I'm not I'm not a great um I wouldn't say that everyone should go to university and everyone should get qualifications but I think as you get older you realize actually you need something to validate what you do know um and what you have learned and for me because I didn't have any qualifications as such it's only in recent years I've kind of gone on to do something around leadership and management just because it's been something I've been doing for years but I've got nothing to validate that I'm any good at it (laughs) Sure. my career um yeah, right so i've ma- kind of made myself do that um just to to back it up in some way yeah, yeah, yeah just, i course. imagine it's a confidence thing rather yes, than definitely. It, it is right yeah absolutely yeah yeah okay 
Um, so already I'm just fascinated about the journey, you know, as a woman to woman, you know, uh, into mm. leadership and, and at the level that you're at. Um, but as you know, the theme of this podcast is, is around adversity uh, yes. and, and sort of what we've faced uh, that has enabled us to get uh, where we are today. So, mm-hmm. so talk us through sort of from that point moving forward. I mean, w- I refer to things like uh, rock bottom or yeah. uh, crashes or something. Talk, talk us through some of the adversity that, that you've faced. Okay, I mean... I I got married when I was 27 and um, had my son. Um, and then two and a half years later, I had my daughter. And my daughter was born with a, a, a genetic disorder and um, that was kind of going to um, limit her life. Um, and when she was two and a half, sadly, she passed away. Um, and so that was my... That, that happening in anybody's life isn't great. Um, and that... It wasn't until probably about a year after she died that I'd re- I really kind of wasn't. That it hit you in a way. Ca- yeah, I couldn't. I, I couldn't cope, and I was obviously married, and my husband, my ex-husband, was struggling with it. You know, I was trying to support my son because he was five when she died to make his life as normal as possible. Although obviously it wasn't normal having lost his sister, um, whatever normal is, I suppose. But um, right, so, right. yeah. So, <clears throat> and I think I was I was very lucky that at the time my work were really really supportive of me my managers at work were kind of just take what you need Adele do what you need Adele it's fine but I still kind of going back to that work ethic throughout that time I didn't I didn't want to let go of work really and because it was quite important to me because it kept me sane um and I think yeah I think kind of if after my daughter died was it before I think it might have been before she died actually I went for some counselling um and I went for some counselling just because I was kind of trying to prepare myself um, for when that eventuality came but the counselling actually was quite helpful for me to get my thinking kind of straight but of course it didn't prepare me because what nothing can prepare you no um, of course not and did you just I'm, I'm thinking about those two and a half years and yeah. and, and sort of then the nine yeah. months of pregnancy before yeah. that and um did, did you know right from when she was born that, that this is that was likely to occur like how did you just get through were you in and out of hospital what were those oh, gosh, two and yeah. a half years like yeah yeah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, um, when she was born, she was premature, and I, I had preeclampsia, so they, it was quite worrying, so she was six weeks early. And, and traumatic as a, as a mother oh, yeah. in the first place, just physically. Yeah, and I didn't understand it, I didn't really understand it at the time, and then no. everyone just panicked, <laughs> and sure. then they're like, oh my god, you know, and I'd literally just finished work, I was 34 weeks pregnant, I'd gone in for my 34-week check, and they said to me, oh my god you know your your blood pressure is really high have you been they said to me ridiculously have you been running up and down the stairs today i said no, I'm, I'm almost nine months pregnant what do you think no <laughs> anyway that, that was it was quite shocking because they they put me in a wheelchair and said okay you can't walk I said don't be ridiculous i can walk up the stairs they're like no getting and it was like really i didn't realize how life-threatening preeclampsia can be so um see so yeah, we had all that trauma and then it wasn't until she was about three months old that we were noticing she was very very sleepy she didn't feed particularly well um and when I and I'd met other women in hospital who'd had their babies at a similar time, and we were in the same ward because all our babies were in the special care unit, so that was quite traumatic. Um, but it wasn't until I started seeing them with their babies that I thought, hold on, there's something not quite right. You, know, you could sort right. of compare where they were at yes. to where yours yeah. was. And I got a kind of, you know, Jack, my son Jack had been. You know, he'd been a fabulous, but he was just lovely, adorable, gorgeous. But he had much more motion and ability than than my daughter had. So we went, um, 
we went to the doctors and we ended up being referred to Great Ormond Street um, and we went up to Great Ormond Street quite a lot and they did tests and they found this condition she had which is like rare as rare as rare can be um, and um, varying levels of how serious that condition could be um, and she had it quite severely so we ended up just having um, care from Great Ormond Street throughout her life um, but obviously in between times she was poorly quite a lot so we, we had a kind of direct route to the children's ward at the hospital and she'd always go in a room on her own um, and we had huge amounts of appointments for her from oh, I don't know uh, hearing tests visual tests um, we had uh, occupational therapists we had physiotherapists we had all of those people could people come around and do an assessment whether a child is going to be able to go to normal school or not yeah, and yeah. all these ridiculous things were, which they have to do I appreciate but it was just constant it sounds like it was to be honest I used to keep a diary of all the um, of all the appointments she had yeah uh, and I think we spent three months of the year in total in, in hospital appointments or in doctor or appointments for this that and the other and I got to a point where I just said actually stop this has to stop right too many people are trying to be involved here um not having it and because of my experience from work I was able to say I want one person who's coordinating her care and everybody has to go for that one person because I'm not having you all traipsing through my front door telling me ridiculous things like but that I takes a lot of strength to um be able to to even say that I mean it, it, it's probably because of the chaos that you were sort of forced yes. to, to bring that up but not every parent sort of knows that that is a possibility or is able to maybe instruct no. professionals like authority figures in that way I think because of my job um and what I'd done and because I've been involved in a lot of kind of negotiation with pretty senior people it was I wasn't and I, to be honest I didn't care I'd got yeah, to the point yeah. of I really do not care what you think of me um my priority is my daughter and my son um and um and I think probably what happened also was there are other parents who were shouting a lot and getting a lot getting a lot of support getting a lot of care that we weren't getting um what because they were being insistent and shouting yes and that wouldn't that wouldn't be my way so my control was to say well actually only one this one person can can liaise with us about things um and then we because we couldn't get because she was um she was so disabled poor little thing they they kept saying well she's no different to any other child of this age at one and a half and going like you are having a laugh (laughs) come to my house spend 24 hours tell me that's the same as you bringing up your one and a half old whatever it was and we ended up doing um we wanted to take on a family holiday and we didn't have you know huge amounts of money and um friends of ours worked with us and we did the, the, they did this three pigs challenge in 24 hours and we raised about 11 grand just fundraising with our biz, our companies our work um and friends and family and we were able to pay them for some care to come in for her because we, we weren't entitled to it because she wasn't that different to any other child so so that we could manage her condition while I then could look after Jack and make sure Jack got to school okay and all those kind of things happened and I was still working at this time I was working part-time so um, um, and can I can I, I mean I have two kids and yes. uh, having, having a toddler and a baby who, who yes. were healthy and um, had none of the sort of hospital bit but while working I mean already it's such an incredible strain and pressure yeah. Um, on on a mother particularly in my yeah. experience that that to also have this layer of of worry and fear and hospital appointments like I can't even fathom how you got through that period of time other than work ethic and survival mode definitely and I think very I was very very lucky my parents um, I'm very close to my parents and my mum was 
just amazing. Um, and, and to be fair, my my yeah, the father of the children was brilliant. I mean, he he was struggling, but he was just good. And he he worked shifts, so he could come in. He could pick Jack up from school and come home, and then he could have the couple of kids and look after them until I got in if I was working. Um, so you just and people say to me, "How did you keep going?" There were, there were two choices, weren't there? Then and I say this to people: the choice was give up, go to bed, and never get out, yeah. or get up and do something. Because actually, I don't want my son growing up in an environment that was one that was all about his sister's health and all the focus being on her. Yeah. Um, and obviously, from a care point of view, a lot of focus had to be on her, but he still had to have an, a normalish life. Um, and that's where my parents came in, because my mum and dad used to have him at least one night a week, so we had a night where we didn't have to worry about him. Yeah. And they used to pick up from school. and So I was I had good support around me, um, you know, for close family. Um, so so that, that did make it easy I don't know if it was easier yeah it was it was, it was supportive but I guess for me the clue that you you had your crash or your rock bottom a year after uh, yes. your daughter what's your daughter's name Paige Paige so so a year after Paige sort of passed away kind yeah. of says to me that you were in absolute kind of uh driver, work ethic, survival, yes. let me look after everyone around me, Jack, yes. Paige, uh, yeah. even your, your, your ex-husband, your ex-partner. Yes. Um, and so that, and then it builds up. And I feel like women do this. We accumulate the stress in our bodies and our minds over time until we simply can't take it anymore. Absolutely. Is that, Absolutely. Is that fair? <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's like, it's like people say about, um, uh, that kind of that that boiling pot you know you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting yeah. and then suddenly it all boils over and when it all boils over that's when the shit really hits the fan right. you end up like dang do you know i need to stop and so you're trying to be everything for everybody and i look at photos of me now and i think oh my god look at the state of me i didn't care i didn't take care of myself i was just keeping going keeping going keeping going um and I'm trying to think what tipped me, but I can't really remember. So not after Paige passed, we, we then had a counsellor around from Cruise who was fantastic. Mm, and yeah. she, she They're came specifically to around uh, bereavement, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Was, and she was, in fact, she was a Canadian woman, funnily enough. Mm. And um, she um, she was really good. And she she came and saw me and my ex-husband and we talked through everything we were feeling. And she, made, she uh, helped us to feel it was normal to grieve, you know, it was normal to feel what we felt. Um, it was, it was not normal to lose a child, but you know, of course you, you have these mechanisms. Can, can um, I just ask for, for people yeah. listening, did, um, uh, did you go out and find somebody from cruise? Did the, the hospital link you up or how, oh, no, how did that did connection happen? Did you? Okay. No, no, we did it. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd come into contact with them in my work at some point And I thought, actually, I think we should think about that. And I remember saying to my ex-husband, I think just think we need, I was really worried about him and I really wanted to make sure that he had someone to talk to. Um, <laughs> and a, doing... <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> um, and, um, and so that's why she came and she was only meant to be with us for an hour and she was just about two hours, bless her. And she was just, and um, that's all we needed. We just needed someone to go. It's okay that you feel like you're feeling. Yeah. Um, and help you process it in some yes. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how so, yes, soon? So, how soon after Paige passed did that happen? Because they counsellors often say they they suggest a wait of three months or so. It was longer than that. I think it was probably about a year. Again, just because I think because also 
you know, my ex-husband and our relationship was suffering quite a lot. Um, they often say people grieve in different ways and it yes. can cause, I mean, not to mention the, the time of her life that was a strain as well. Yes. But um, is, is that what your experience was? Yeah, definitely. And I think my, my attitude to life was um, you have to live it. Uh, and I think for my ex-husband, he was struggling um, to cope with what had happened to us. Um, and I think he was thinking we'll just kind of carry on as we were. Uh, and for me, it was like, no, um, you need to grab life and you need to really make the most of it um, because you never know what's going to come. And So really and, and a different perspective on yeah. this sort of adversity and challenge being, you, that you're faced with. Yeah, and I think because I, I'm somebody who, because I could speak to my mum about it and my sister about it, I kind of... I had an outlet, I suppose, and we were quite we're quite an open family anyway, so we talk about things. Whereas his family words, and for him it was really difficult, um, I think, and I, I still think now. You know, it's eighteen years since she passed away, but it's still pretty raw. And she also passed away on Christmas Eve, which was pretty. Oh, ouch. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I think we were just looking at different ways of life. So I was then throwing myself into my job and, and just pushing myself at work, obviously caring for Jack. Um, there does seem to just, be, be a theme here, and I relate to it quite well, just as far as using uh, work as work, uh, an escape in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can be, you know, very justifiable because you love yes. your job and you're good at what yeah. you do and you enjoy it. You get some fulfillment in that sort of identity. Um, yeah. But, but I suppose it's interesting that you work in addictions as well. Um, yes. There can, <laughs> yeah. be, there can be like a tipping point when it's just actually you could stop or you could take a yes. breath or a moment for you, but you almost don't know how to anymore because work ethic and fight, flight survival is, is sort of what you do. Yeah, and I, said, and I can't remember when, but at some point, um, it, it was probably a few years after Paige had gone, I just stopped um, and I had, I think, six weeks off where I was signed off for depression. I was on antidepressants. So you, this was uh, your crash, sort of your rock yeah. bottom point. Yeah, and it was the most peculiar place to be because um, I felt like um, I didn't kind of deserve to need to stop and that why, you know, if everybody else keeps going, why can't I just keep going? And it was madness, things like worrying about how clean the house was <laughs> my mum is like a madly clean her house is amazing it's immaculate and I was you know and not that my house was dirty but I used to think I've got a hoover every day or I've got a dust once a week or I've got to make sure the washing's up today or and I used to and I used to really get stressed about oh my god the house is dirty the house is dirty and it wasn't dirty um but I was putting pressure on myself not just to kind of keep my life going but also those silly little things and then suddenly I started to take the antidepressants and um all of that kind of went away and was just like, actually, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, Jack's fed and looked after well. That was a priority. Um, and so having that six weeks out was really weird because I'd wake up every day and think, and I can remember it now thinking, like, what am I going to do today then? Because I'm not going to go to work. And, you know, I can take Jack to school, but when he's at school, what do I do then? Um, but there is, I feel like there's a fear that if we stop, that's yeah. when the, the real feelings or the darkness or yeah. however you want to refer, refer to it, the anxiety will, will emerge. And yeah. that can feel pretty scary when, um, you know, like, what, what do we do then when we actually feel all these feelings? Yeah. And I think it's, and it's very difficult to... You know, come from a family with such strong work ethics and kind of, you know, just you just kind of keep going. Nobody I stops, yeah. Nobody stops. Um, 
and then when you do something, you feel like, oh my god, have I not failed? But you know, yeah. there's something wrong with me because yeah. I can't cope with all this pressure and life and everything else. Yeah, and your identity is, is very tied up in your profession. Yeah, absolutely, and you just suddenly you think like, what will people think of me? Because I've I've not been at work for six weeks, which um, is which is incredible because you've gone through a major tragedy. Yeah. It's yeah. not as if, you know, something light had happened. I mean, anyone would look at that and go, this is a major tragedy. Of course, yes. you should take some time off. But that's, yeah. it's interesting that even in this situation, that's not your perspective on being no. uh, allowing, giving yourself permission to stop. And, and it's about giving yourself permission. That's, that's the most, and actually saying help, because you get so entrenched in things, you think everybody else is getting on with their lives, they're dealing with difficult things, you know. I need to be the same as everybody else. And actually, it's not... And asking for help is so, so, so difficult. What's so hard uh, about it? Because I think it's about feeling that you, you, you've... You've failed in some way, that you aren't... You aren't... People see me as this independent, strong manager, leader passionate about what she does give 100 over 100 percent if you can that you can but you know 100 percent to everything yeah and and so actually that i'm you know you don't want people to see that you've got i don't know you're not operating that, at that level well that you're vulnerable and when you're yes. when you're a leader um yes. you know even if things are are shaky or uh or difficult it's your job to be the one to pull everyone else up absolutely um, um, I mean, in the work that I do with workplaces, I think leaders need to show, need to learn how to show a little bit of vulnerability because yes. that will actually teach their employees to be able yes. to, you know, it can bring teams together. I don't know if you, um, if, if you've changed it all in your leadership style since all of this has happened. I think I, um, I'm trying to think if I have, I think when I was, when all this happened, I was working in an organisation with a really good team with a lot of people who'd had children around the same age as Jack so so we'd all kind of become parents together and they were all very and one of those okay. people I still see a lot so it. I had quite good peer support around me um and understanding about and I, and I, I felt safe I'd got I, I when I got to the point of saying help I then felt safe talking about it because I'm working with people who understand you know that this kind of thing and the impact it has on life um, so I think I was fortunate to have that once I decided that I needed to say help. Um, and, and when you refer to yourself saying help, help was that to the workplace in order to get these six weeks off? Or was no, it- no, just just I need someone to, I, I, I need to stop. Um, I need permission. Um, and it's funny because you don't normally get the permission to go to the doctor, do you? And the doctor says, oh, my God, what are mm-hmm. you doing? Why are you at work? And, mm-hmm. you, know, you need to get some of the stress out of your life. Mm-hmm. Um the, the one thing you can you cannot get out of your life obviously is your family and what you're doing at home the one thing you can stop doing for a period of time is work and that's kind of that permission to say okay yeah, i need some help now i need to sort of slow down and stop yeah the doctor um, said or a professional yes. has told me yes. and so that yes. way i can therefore i can do it serious <laughs> yeah therefore it's serious the yeah. drugs is, is pretty serious and i've kind of fought having that conversation with the gp for quite some time and i was i was very anti-taking any medication because i was worried about oh my god i'll become addicted yeah um, so and, many people uh, are it, and yeah and you kind of think oh that's a really risky road to go down but actually it wasn't it was the best thing I did um because it did help level level me out you know stop me being desperate to be perfect all the time I can't imagine what my ex-husband felt like living with me that's a bloody nightmare but 
Uh, hence, we're now divorced. Well, <laughs> well there you go. Um, and do you do you remember what that first conversation was like with your GP? I, yeah, I just cried. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, and, and I've had a, I've had a similar a similar situation more recently, and it, it, it's just a it just boiled up inside me that I just yeah I wouldn't cry um and as much as I wanted to cry but when I sat in front of the GP said you know I think I need to stop something um and then I explained what happened but I was just in tears you know it's just that release um so yeah just just very emotional can can we ask what the the context was about recently uh yeah yeah um again um life i think that thing that goes on for us all lots yeah. of change going on yeah. um a new phase getting getting older um needing to make some decisions about careers um my son was finishing coming up to finishing university i was gonna get married so i just had lots of things going on but i knew i knew that i'd got myself into a bit of a pickle and that i needed to stop um and i was more able this time to stop than I have been before and to go to the doctor and say, do you know, I do, I do just need to stop. Um, and that gave me the time and the space to think about, okay, what, what am I doing? How do I look after my mental health better? Yeah. How do I ensure that, um, I don't feel knackered all the time. Um, and that I'm, yeah, just looking after myself, I suppose. So you could um, recognize the, the build yeah, up or the triggers in a slightly different way this time around. Yeah. yeah. And, and I had counseling again, but the counseling, um, uh, I don't mean to be offensive towards counsellors, but you, you kind of know you know what 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 they're going to be. You know that it's for you to make the changes in your life, and it's about whether you're prepared to or prepared to actually, as opposed to able to. And so the things I know I needed to change, I've made some changes in my life. I know I need to look after my um, yeah, not eat so much. I know I need to be a bit more physically active than I am. But I, I knew that mentally the change I had to make was one about my, my job and that I had to change that to enable me to free some time up really to look after myself. I was getting a bit older, you know, not old, but you know, you kind of I hit a milestone and it was okay, yeah. I now need to think about what I'm gonna do next. Like address the balance and, and yes. what's important to you in life rather than just sort of reacting or or doing, yes. you know, work just because you've always done it. Yeah. But, but trying to conscious make some de- consciously make some decisions around it. Yeah, and it wasn't about that I was unhappy doing what I was doing because I wasn't. No. I loved what I was doing, but I also knew I couldn't keep on at the pace. That, and, and I was pushing myself. It wasn't my where I worked pushing me. It was me pushing myself to... Seems like there is a theme as well. Yes. The sort of, <laughs> but, but I mean, like, there's pros and cons because you've obviously gotten to where yeah. you are in life because you have that ability to push yourself. Yes. Um, and, and sometimes we, we need to do that. Uh, and then it's going, hey, I've pushed myself pretty damn far. Um, yes. What do I want out of life now? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's right. And I think I just knew that I needed to slow down a bit um, and take care of myself a bit more. So, and so um, that seems so to I'd, be the theme of what you've learned as well. And, and I'm curious about yeah. going back to those, those the, that first kind of crash, those first six weeks of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what got you through it? So I'm, I'm hearing you, you went on some, some medication, yeah. you spoke to a counsellor. Um, these things are never sort of uh, from one day to the next. I did these things and now I was no. okay, right? <laughs> um, like beyond the six weeks and the years beyond that, I mean, this doesn't go away. It, it's no. just different, right? 
Um, yeah. Grief is an interesting thing. So I'm curious about that journey and, and sort of the highs and lows and what, what, what did you learn in order to get yourself through it? Um, I needed to listen to myself more, I suppose. I needed to take note of when I knew I was dipping, when I knew I was getting down, as I, you know, as I do now, that I need to do something positive. Um, and it, that may just be silly little things, like with, with what I'm doing now for a job, I'm able to spend a bit more time at home, so I can pop and have a cup of tea with my mum. That's really important to me. Um, you know, my son lives in London now, and if I'm in London, I can pop and see him, you know, and I can meet him for dinner. So it's doing nice things. Flexibility, make, yeah. Yeah, flexibility is it is massive. Um, yeah. um, and also, you know, um, before we started, I was saying to you, you know, that, that it's finding something to feel it's, – it's okay to have some gaps in time where you think, oh, what am I going to do in my time? Um, and that's okay, but it's unusual to have that time because in our lives, generally, we don't have time to sit and think, do we, and ponder or just have a bath and read a book. Um, yeah. But it's those are really important things to do if if they make you feel better. Um, but what makes me feel better may not be the same as what makes other people feel better. Um, it's finding the things, and I'm still trying to find all of those. But find I know what some of those things are that, but that it's enable creating, me to move yeah, forward. Yeah, creating the space to like yes. daydream in a way and imagine and yeah. think of oh you know in this stage of my life what is important to me what do I want to do? We I mean that and that's yes. why people uh, you know have to create time for mindfulness practice or anything yes. like that and and all it is is stopping yourself stopping your mind for a bloody minute to to kind of connect with your body and think mm. who am i what do i need and maybe connect with intuition again yeah and i think there's a lot of tools out there that can help you with all of this but what i'm not very good at is having something that's structured so i'm not i'm not very good at having something that do six sessions of this, do nine sessions of that. Yeah. Give yourself 10 minutes a day to do X, Y, and Z. That's not me. I don't, I don't function like that. Um, but sometimes I can go, okay, I'm going to take 10 minutes now. Not that I have to do it because I feel if I have to do, have to do it, yeah, I feel yeah. if I'm under pressure to do it three times a week, it's not going to happen. No, <laughs> don't tell me no what to do. <laughs> exactly. It's completely, don't tell me what to do. And you get, yeah, you kind of get bloody minded about it. So, so for me, finding something that's not every Tuesday night I have to go here and do that, and I've tried that, um, and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, uh, or and that's every, okay. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. If it doesn't work according to somebody else's sort yes. of idea of how it should work, that's okay. Find your own yeah. way. Yeah. And I, I, I get bored, so, you know. I, I'm <laughs> so <used> do I. <laughs> I used to go to the thing I used to do is I used to go to the gym. I did a year of going to the gym with my sister, which was great because I got time with my sister and I got a bit of. Um, we had a personal trainer and that was fantastic. But after a year of doing it every Friday morning, it was like, no, I've had enough of that now. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I know that it's good for me to do it, but actually, no. I'm but not, you've got to I mix can't. it up then and make it interesting yes. for you again. Exactly. And so I'm trying to find different ways to make things a bit more interesting for me. Um, and we'll see if I succeed or not. But I'm just looking at lots of different options. Absolutely. Um, and so what, what advice might you give to, to somebody who is in the middle of, you know, in, in grief that, that may hit them soon? Because uh, it sounded like you were trying to prepare for it, but you never can. Um, no. And then just um, getting through that rock bottom and moving your life forward. What advice might you give to them? I think I would say um, it's okay to feel how you're feeling. 
But what you have to do is share it with somebody else. And you have to feel, you have to be brave and you have to say whatever's in your head to somebody else just so the words come out. And if and if you're worried about how people perceive you as a result of that, don't worry about it because they, they, whoever you decide to talk to will loves you and cares for you and will look after you um, and support you. Um, and that's difficult finding the person that you want to say something to. Um, so say, it, saying it out loud. I think saying it out loud makes a big difference, and and not hiding it. You know, if you're if you're breaking down in tears every day, somebody needs to know that. But you're probably doing it where nobody else knows about it because you think if I have this little spout of cries and crying now, I'll be okay, <laughs> um, and then it'll all get better. And it just doesn't. Um, so I think it's about. Share, yeah, sharing how you're feeling with somebody, and if that's a GP, it's a GP. If that's a Samaritan, that's a Samaritans. If that's you know mental health services, mental health, it doesn't. It's not it's, about who it's, it is. It's about the fact yeah. that you're doing it with someone or an organisation that you can trust. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a, I know that's really really difficult, but you can do it, and you will find a way through it. And and for me, it's kind of not thinking that that's it now. I'm everything's fixed. It's knowing when your what your triggers are and when you'll get into the point of feeling low or whatever it is and that you can't cope or you can't do things, thinking actually yes I can and having faith in yourself um, that you can make changes. Um, and how yeah. ha- how has this adversity? I know this sounds almost patronising, but how has <laughs> this adversity impacted who you are today? I think it's just. Go back to what I said about living your life. Um, I think when I was in my early 20s, um, and because of growing up in a fairly traditional family, I thought, well, that's it. I'm going to get married, have kids, yeah. grow old with somebody. Live happily and ever after. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'll go on the holiday once a year and we'll go shopping every Saturday to Sainsbury's. And, sure, and standard. The standard. That's what people think is normal, isn't it? I don't go such a thing. But, but I think it made me think that's not what I want in my life. I want to have fun times. I want to go places. I want to see different things. I want to have a good job. Uh, I want to do a job that I feel that I'm doing good for people. Uh, And I want my son to grow up with the right values and the right way of living his life. Um, And if he's not, you know, if he doesn't do that in a way that I think is right living, then I'm going to. I'm going to tell him. Um, So we we have a very open and honest sort of, you know, relationship. So, so I think, yeah, I think um, just made me think that I need, uh, yeah, there's things that I want in life, which are about time with family, time with my my new husband, traveling around, going to different places, seeing different things, having fun. Um, So it's really made you sort of uh, grab life and, and want to live it to the full because you have a sense of maybe how fleeting it can be. Yeah. Yeah, and I would hate to be somebody who was who was on their deathbed saying, I wish I'd done this, or I wish I'd done that, you know? I mean, I don't know all the things I want to do, but I don't want to be someone... I, I was very clear I didn't want to be someone who ended up being stuck in the normal, stuck in the, you know, being married like my folks 50 years and living in the same house forever and doing the same thing. That wasn't for me. That's fine for other people. Sure. Um, if that's what they want, but it wasn't what I wanted. Um, I knew that I wanted something different and it almost Um, allowed you to ask yourself those questions even if you don't know all the answers now it's allowing you to ask the questions to make it possible yeah and I think also going talking to you and doing this actually it's really interesting because um it's 
as I've got older, it's kind of having faith that I am good at what I do. I uh, I do know what I'm doing, and I know where my areas are that I need to develop, and some of those I will, and some of them I won't. Um, but I, I don't ever think I was as determined in the same way when I was younger as I am now. But I also I don't I don't I'm a very valued person. I've got great values, and I think if, if people don't like that about me, then that's not my problem. That's their problem because it's important to me. So true to self. Um, Stay true so yeah, to yourself. It's not easy. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, and I think yeah, the whole resilience thing. I don't think of it when you're in that moment, when you're in those situations. And when I was in that with my daughter, I didn't think I was being resilient. I just thought I was just being mum. You were just um, surviving, doing what you needed to do. Yeah. Exactly, and I don't. You don't. And I say the choice you have is to either do that or don't do it. Um, and if it's don't do it, then you need some help. You know, different help to the help I had, but you need some help because my, I couldn't give up my son having a good life because his sister had died. That wouldn't be the right thing to do. Um, uh, it's, so, it sounds yeah, like Jack no, was really, really, um, you know, enabled you to uh, be resilient as oh, well yeah. because you just had to keep going because you couldn't see him yes. suffer. Yes. And it's and it's little thing, you know, when, when I had when I had him, I can remember that I used to be terrified, ridiculously. I used to hate spiders. I wouldn't go in a room with a spider in them. And when I had him, my whole spin on life changed. And so if I saw a spider in a room, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go and be its friend, <laughs> but I might be okay to catch it in a glass and throw it out of the door. Um, and I found my fear of things had changed because my I didn't want him to go up with fears about things. You just um, can't show your your fear in the same way because you know that they then no, see because, it on their face. Yeah, and it's like going to the dentist or going on a plane. You know, hate those things as well. But with him, I was like, okay, I'm just going to treat this as a normal thing. And and then if he gets fearful about it, that's fine. But it isn't because of how I've behaved that he's got the fear. It's because actually he's, he's fearful of it. And I think he's he's a very um, yeah, he's 23 now, and he is a lovely, lovely young man. And, you know, he's – I mean, he tries to be mad sometimes, but he has got nice values. He does understand people. He's very caring. Um, and, you know, when you grow up with a with a sister who's had disabilities like his sister did have, albeit only – you know, he was only five when she went um, – it's it's had an impact on his life. And, of it, course, it would. his parents get divorced as well. But, yeah, but he's not, he's not damaged. He's not ended up <laughs> – I'm not quite sure how, but he hasn't ended up with in addiction services or in any different, you know, kind of his life thrown away. He's he's grasped the ethos we have in our family to be driven to do the best, and he's got a really good, you know, job, and he's loving life. And I'm saying, grab life, enjoy it, do, do you know, go to different places, and that's that's the way he is, which is quite unusual um, for well, some kids of his age. Of course, what what an amazing um, gift that you've you've given him, um, Adele. Thank you so much for your, for your time. Um, I just need to appreciate you because you mentored me uh, alongside your sort of high-powered job and all the rest of it during a pretty challenging time in my life, and you've stayed, a, a, you know, an integral yes. uh, person uh, through the challenges that I've been facing. So I've got to appreciate you completely on this platform. You're just an amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing lady amazing person filled with so much wisdom. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you you very much, Petra. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. 
I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.